We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. Episode number 13, it's not an unlucky 13, it's a lucky 13, of Lion Legacy. Russ, we are not a sports talk radio by any means, but there is some big news coming out of Penn State recently with the hiring of a new basketball coach, Micah Shrewsbury. We're very excited for Coach Shrewsbury coming to Penn State. I'm sure that the coach will come in get some new recruits, a little bit of a turnaround effort, but we're excited to see what he can bring to the table. Yeah, I had a chance to actually listen to his press conference, and you know, I think he's got a lot of great experience and just seems like an overall good guy, good fit for the program, and let's actually hope that he can bring us back to the Sweet 16 and beyond. We remember we got to the Sweet 16 our freshman year in the spring of 2001. That was a great team. They pulled off a couple upsets back in 2000, 2001, led by, let's bring up some old names. we got Titus Ivory and the Crispin brothers and Chiasi Klein, Tyler Smith this is a bit of a throwback, but uh, that was a great team. They pulled off a couple upsets, made it into the tournament. Well, let's hope Penn State becomes a football and basketball school. Let's hope. One other reminder, a little bit of housekeeping. By no means are we affiliated with the university, but it is the time of the year to vote for the Board of Trustees, which certainly has an important impact on the future of the university. Speaking of which, our guest this week actually is running for a position. By no means, though, are we telling you who to vote for. Do your homework. Get to know the candidates. You can find all that information on the website, trustees.psu. .edu. That's again, trustees.psu.edu. But Ross, why don't you tell us a little bit about Miss Bridget Lazda? Yeah, she has a great journey that she's going to tell us about in the beverage industry. And as we like to do, we got some takeaways uh, from the conversation. She actually got a degree in education, but decided not to go the teaching route and went into business. But she makes that connection for us as to what she learned in education, how she applied it to her career and her current job. Also, the meaning of her current role, which is chief customer officer. She'll explain what that entails. And also, she worked earlier in her career, and for actually most of her career, with two of the beverage behemoths, and then moved over to a smaller beverage company. And so we're going to talk about that transition as well. And we have a bit of a promotion here. It's very exciting on, on Lion Legacy. Not only do we bring you the conversation, but we bring you a sweepstakes. So Bridget and her company, Calypso Lemonade, have been kind enough to give away a free case of their bottled lemonade to one Lion Legacy listener. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick somebody from the email subscriber list. If you're not already subscribed, you can do so at lionlegacypodcast.com. If you are, then you're already there. Jared will pull a name at some point. But if you subscribe by the end of this month, that's April 30th before midnight, 11.59 p.m. Eastern to be specific. And then Jared will be in contact with the winner. We got free lemonade. Nothing better than that. There you go. With that, enjoy the conversation with Bridget Lazda. And to all of our listeners, cheers. 
All right, let's welcome Bridget Lazda, Penn State graduating class of 2002, special education major and currently chief customer officer at Calypso Lemonade. Before Calypso, Bridget spent her time at a couple of beverage giants, you may have heard of them, Coca-Cola and Heineken. She also holds an MBA from Emory University. Special shout out to Emory as my sister went there actually for her undergrad. Bridget was recognized with an Executive Women's Award from Emory's Business School. And of course, this is a Penn State podcast, so we've got to also let you know that she picked up some hardware in 2016 with an Alumni Achievement Award. On top of her day job and raising two kids, she also finds time to give back through various volunteer organizations. Bridget, among everything going on in your world, thanks for making some time for us today on Lion Legacy. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for joining us, Bridget. One of the things I picked up on in Jared's intro is that you graduated with a degree in special education, yet your first job out of school was with Coca-Cola. So what drove your decision to jump into the business world rather than heading down the teaching track? So junior year, I had already three years with my sorority, Chi Omega, and I was actually president of Chi Omega and then had the opportunity to lead the Penalenic Council. And through that, I, I started meeting so many other student leaders within Penn State and interacting more with the administration and just getting a more business side to school outside of my you know, college of education classes. And I really found myself drawn to the business side, leadership. And as I continued through my, my courses, I found that I was still passionate and wanted to give back and loved teaching and, and the idea of coaching others and children. But I thought that from a career standpoint, I wanted to do something more in business and in leadership. So I decided I wanted to, you know, finish out and still get my degree in the event that maybe I wouldn't find something out of college, that I would still have the opportunity to pursue another passion. But I would, you know, finish that and then see if I could make it in the business world. And so I got out of Penn State. I actually week after graduation, moved to Chicago with a best girlfriend and had some different contacts at different companies, Coke being one of them. And uh, they hired me as an entry-level account manager. So I was up and down the streets of Chicago, just taking orders for Coca-Cola and found myself there for the next 14 years. Fantastic. And then you actually rose all the way up to, to VP of sales as well, handling, I, I think, a small little store called Target. And bringing that business, I think, up to, to maybe about $500 million annually, which is quite impressive. But people probably say, hey, how hard can it be? Coca-Cola, Target, can you give us a little bit of insight knowing that it is such a complex role when dealing with such a big company like Coke, as well as a customer like Target? Sure. Yeah, you do think, oh, you got Coke or Diet Coke and a Diet Coke and Target. It's like a perfect fit, which it is. But our business in Coke's portfolio is a lot more than just Coke and Diet Coke. That is what people would call the name on the door is Coke. So that is your priority. But, you know, they have a full portfolio of brands and, and offerings. And it also becomes not only about the beverages that you're able to provide in store, but building relationship inside Target with not only like the grocery buyer, but you start building relationships with other key stakeholders within the retailer. So if I could talk more broadly outside of Target, you want to be building relationships 
to understand like what other types of services and solutions can you bring to them? So what that means in like the consumer packaged goods or beverages and retailers or what type of solutions can you work with them on so that when a in targets terms guest comes into a store, you're able to help with that. So whether it's Diet Coke and something with fashion or it's Dasani or the water portfolio and something with the cafe or even gaming, like we did some things with electronics and our Sprite portfolio. So you're just always trying to figure out how do you make your relationships with customers stickier? Because although Coke is such a behemoth, you are still competing with every other brand out there for space. And so you're trying to figure out how do you just build those strong relationships so that regardless of what it is, like what problem the customer has, even if I was only providing them beverages, they still saw us as a subject matter expert on other areas that could help them just drive sales within their chain. And you must have a lot of stakeholders, right? Because you're looking at the end customer, the person who's actually buying and drinking. Then you've got your customer as in Target and everyone that kind of operates in the Target ecosystem. And then I imagine you also have quote unquote stakeholders or customers within Coca-Cola as it relates to marketing and operations and supply chain as well. So you've got a lot to balance. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. No, that's totally correct. And Coke or what you'd see with a lot of beverages, this would also be the same with my experience at Heineken. You have this massive distributor network. So like how your actual products are getting into each of those outlets. In Coke, they are primarily all Coca-Cola distributors. There wouldn't be a situation where a Coke distributor was also distributing Pepsi. But in the beer world, they are distributing all sorts of other competing products there. So yes, tons of key stakeholders thinking about the end consumer first and what is that solution for them. But then all of your different buyers and key stakeholders within that retailer, and then back to the company. So yes, marketing, how are you making sure that you are bringing X brands marketing to life inside retail, supply chain for sure operations, a lot with efficiency, quality control, and then the entire distributor network Great. on top of like your finance partners who are making sure that you're still making money <laughs> and everything is on the up and up. That's always important, and Ross would know that best. Being yeah, on the finance I'm, not, side. I'm a finance guy myself, so I, everything ends up being you know in terms of the dollars. Yeah. So you touched upon Heineken. So you were with Coca-Cola. I think you mentioned 14 years, and then you make the move over to Heineken as a VP of national sales. Explain a little bit about the differences between selling non-alcoholic beverages and selling alcoholic beverages. One of the biggest differences are probably the laws. It was one thing uh, that was really foreign to me. I worked closely with our legal team within Coke, but when you move to the um, alcohol side, in, in my experience, Heineken in the beer side, you know, there's so much that is restricted. We, we had to work really closely with our, our legal peers on training for the sales team to make sure that you weren't paying for something that you weren't supposed to pay for. There are certain like sweepstakes that you can and can't do. So how you can interact with consumers and, and it's not like it's just at a state level. You can have different laws by county across the United States and it goes back to prohibition really. And so it's called this three tier system where you have the brewer, so Heineken, you'd have the distributor and then you'd have the retailer. And that was put in place so that brewers, suppliers, 
couldn't be overfunding and I think effectively like not having a monopoly in one area. So that, that would be the, the, one of the biggest differences for me was just understanding the laws and making sure that you were, you know, staying up and up programs that you were offering with customers. Pricing is very different too. And now if you're able to, you know, control pricing a little bit more in beer and alcohol, it's more at a, like a distributor level. At the end of the day, retailers set what their retail is going to be. But yeah, all in all, I would say the laws are the, the biggest difference. Now, with you being at some of the biggest brands in the world from a beverage perspective, Talk to us maybe a little bit about how competitive it is, right? You've got Coke and Pepsi. You've got Heineken. You've got Budweiser, Bud Light, AB InBev, right? The Coronas of the world, the competitors that you probably don't want us to to really mention. But how competitive is it out there? It is so competitive. I'll tell you when I was at Coke, for a long time, you wouldn't even say Pepsi. That is becoming ingrained. I almost a lot of times don't say a competitor's name because you don't even want to give them that airtime. I think that's evolved a bit, you know, and but it's really competitive. I mean, you would not, you would never drink another product. Like when we were at Coke, you wouldn't go out to have Frito-Lay even snack products you try to find something else. And I find myself today, we actually just went, my family, we went to out to eat, which barely done at all in the last year. And I ordered my lunch and she asked to drink and I said, diet Coke. And she says, diet Pepsi. Okay. I'm like, no, no." I do know a lot of people that have come from Pepsi. They're all great people. They're fierce competitors and that's what you want, but it is super competitive. I'd say the same on beer. When I went to Heineken, you would never be caught or you wouldn't go to anybody's house or if they had competing products, you'd be bringing your products there so people could only drink yours. So it's super competitive. And then even moving to King Juice and Calypso, like our team is so competitive and we are in not as established brand, you know, although Calypso is turning 21 actually this year, I mean, we are really, really competitive and always looking at what the competition's doing. So yeah, it's fun. It's fun. They're great competitors, all of those other competing companies, but yeah, I'll tell you, you wouldn't even say their name. Now, you mentioned Calypso, right? So I want to talk a little bit about your transition of going from two extremely well-known brands to Calypso. And if you could give a little bit of insight in terms of Calypso and then what was really appealing with that move. Sure. I'll just have to say it. Calypso is the fastest turning branded lemonade. We're just, we're killing in the market. It's fantastic. When I thought about leaving Coke, which I did because I wanted to get some experience outside of Coke. I loved my time there. It was great. I learned a ton. The brands are amazing, but I wanted to get experience in another company. Then when I thought about that, I figured, okay, I want to go to another big global brand, Heineken, second largest global brewer, which again was an awesome experience. Great people learned a lot, but then having spent nearly 17 years in big company, and thinking about my career and really what I wanted to do next and experiences that I wanted to get, it was more around this emerging brand, thinking like an entrepreneur and working in a more entrepreneurial setting. I was also interested in private equity backed company and learning more about M&A. And so when the King Juice, who's the parent company, actually opportunity came, you know, I was contacted by a, a recruiter and he didn't even tell me what the company was. He just described what was happening with the company and what the opportunity was. You know, I knew it was a non-alcoholic beverage, but his description of what was happening and what the possibilities were that really 
drove me to keep having calls with him before I even knew what the company was. And then once he shared with me what the company was, the plans, the leadership, we got a great leadership and the CEO, David Clavsons, I thought it, it seemed really fun. Who wouldn't want to sell lemonade? We, we refer to it as vacation in a bottle. It's just a lot of fun and it's proven to be a lot of fun. It's also proven to be a ton of work. When I thought about what I loved about previous jobs, this is a hybrid of that. I loved my first job out of college at Coke as an account manager. Like I loved up and down the street. I loved that selling in front of customers all the time, the management of that. And then I also loved as I progressed in my career and was able to have more strategic roles and help with planning and then leading teams. And this is definitely a hybrid of that. I call on customers, distributors, and then also get the opportunity to lead the sales team. I love that the vacation in the bottle line as well, yeah. which just speaks so perfectly to the <laughs> entire brand. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. Especially so, in this time, honestly, like you haven't been able to take a vacation at all. And so, yeah, it's definitely the, the phrase has been used a lot, I would say, in the last year. So everyone just needs to go out now that's listening and buy some Calypso and they will yeah. feel like they're on vacation. Pretty much. Awesome. What are some of the challenges of going to a smaller company or more entrepreneurial? The couple challenges that I, you know, thought that I anticipated, but you really don't, you really, you know, can't really can't feel it until you're in it is the change in resources. When you're at these big companies, there are just tons of people. There are tons of people to do jobs. There are, there's lots of money. And obviously a lot of that has changed over the last couple of years, lots of just lots of resources. And so going to a more of an emerging brand or where the resources, you know, aren't the same, the challenge is you're doing a lot of that work. You're, you're either figuring out how to get the work done with, you know, fewer people. And you're also probably more sensitive to how you're spending money. And I, I don't know that I would say spending your money more wisely, but for sure we have to prioritize really clearly, what are we going to spend time on? What are we going to spend money on? Because we have a, just a finite number of resources. You know, I went from a sales team of nearly a hundred at Heineken to about 25 now. And again, the scale of the businesses are different, but at the end of the day, you call on a customer, it takes a lot of the same time, you know, where a team calling on a major retailer could have 10 people and coming here and it's three, it's a lot of shift in resources. So yeah, that I, I would say is one of the biggest, one of the biggest changes. So Bridget, our, our time at Penn State overlapped a little bit. I was in Samuel College of Business around the same time that you were at, at school. And I'm not sure that a uh, chief customer officer of that position existed some 20 years ago. So tell us a little bit more about what your current role entails. Sure. So my current role is effectively a head of sales. So I'm responsible for leading the, the strategy to, through to the execution of our sales team. And that would be domestic and international. We have a pretty significant international business. And so it would be working with our, our international partners who are managing the majority of that business, but working with them on what's the strategy of markets that we want to prioritize and get into next. And then domestically, which is where the majority of the business is, it's around making sure do we have the right organizational structure. As as I mentioned before, limited resources, limited people. So you want to make sure you have an effective structure 
how we are going to call on customers and distributors. So building capability with the team and understanding, okay, what are our strengths? Where do we have some gaps and how do we fill that in with some coaching or partnering of people together? And then working with the management team and the other folks within King Juice. So finance, supply chain, our marketing team on what's our plan going to be? What's our innovation strategy going to be? How are we going to bring that to life? Excellent. So let's work in a little plug here. Two questions more about Calypso. First, where can our listeners find the Calypso beverages? And then secondly, you have to tell us what your favorite flavor is where you can find it. So you can actually find us at a lot of major national retailers. We are in many Walmarts across the country, depending on where you're at. We are across the um, Kroger banners across the United States. We're in Alberts and Safeway chains. If you're in the Midwest, we are getting into Jewel. We are getting into Circle K. We're in a a ton of independence, nearly 50% of our businesses in. If you just walk into um, an independent convenience store, you know, you'll find us there too. And then if you're on the East Coast, you will certainly find us in Wawa. So we are in nearly all the Wawas with two of our flavors. One of which is probably my favorite is Island Wave. I love Island Wave. But I got to say a really close second for me and probably what I would drink more of are Lightline. And it's our original light is my favorite. We launched it last year, actually, during the pandemic. It is uh, zero sugar, five calories, and it's delicious. You wouldn't even know that it doesn't have any sugar in it. What does Island Wave taste like? Sounds nice. It's going to sound so cheesy. I mean, that does feel like you're sitting on a beach and you've got a fruity drink in a coconut is exactly what, with a with a umbrella, is exactly what it tastes like. Sounds it's vacation, perfect. It's vacation in a bottle, Jerry. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thank exactly. you for the plug. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, obviously a, a, a very impressive career, Coca-Cola, Heineken, now Calypso is the chief customer officer. Is there one highlight, and I know this is a tough question, but is there a highlight or something that you're most proud of over your entire career? Jeez, it's hard to pick just one. I think what I'm most proud of is some of the work I've done around diversity and inclusion, because I have been able to do that across these major organizations. I had the opportunity to lead both Coke and Heineken's women's business resource groups. So it was called Women's Link at Coke, Women Women's Leadership Council at, at Heineken. And I think that's one of the things that I'm most proud of because I was able to not only lead these organizations and help the company, so whether it was the Coke company or Heineken on different diversity and inclusion initiatives, but then also the mentorship that I got from them, either mentoring other women or having mentors myself, some of whom became sponsors. And so that's probably what I'm most most proud of because it's something that I've always been passionate about. And I'm thrilled that I have been able to, you know, connect a passion like that into my corporate life. I love that answer. It's true leadership right there at its finest. You know, as you think about the message to young female leaders, tomorrow's female leaders, what is that message? I don't know if this phrase is used often, but we would talk about be sitting at the table, take a seat at the table. And actually something just happened to me today where a woman who's on the team, she was copied on an email and someone had asked a question about feedback around a communication that we were going to put out. And so she sent me her feedback. And then said, I don't think that this is my place. 
And I responded back to her and I said, anytime you're on the email, it's your place. And I think about that uh, as coaching and just get yourself to the table. And when you're at the table, like you're there and be there. So whether it's, you know, you get copied on an email and you're like, am I supposed to give that feedback? Yeah. If you're asked, if you're part of it, give it, stand up. You deserve to be there. It's interesting because we had Shannon Furman on, producer, director at NFL Films, and she almost gave the same answer in terms of speaking up, making sure that she's part of the decisions and having a louder voice. So really interesting advice right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's also this thing about being in threes, and I don't think this is just for women. I think it's just for any, you know group of people, but there is power in numbers. But when you don't have that number, so if you're in a situation and you think you're the only one like yourself, you know, whatever that might look like, you just gotta, you gotta stand up and represent yourself, represent anybody else, but for sure, take your seat at the table and let your voice be heard. Excellent. Very admirable, Bridget. We're going to get more into your Penn State experience in a few moments, but first it's worth mentioning that you're throwing your hat in the ring for a Penn State board of trustees position. For the Penn Staters listening, what would you like to share as to why the alums should vote for you in April? Thank you. I am really excited about this opportunity. When I think about the experience that I had at Penn State and all that I got back and how it really shaped like who I am, what career I chose, and then the network I was able to keep. And I'm at a spot where I want to be able to give back. I want to be able to work with other alumni on what is the future of Penn State. It is just such an amazing organization, institution, and I want the opportunity to help give back. If I look across higher education, technology, students have changed dramatically just over the last decade, however far you want to go back. And my experiences, I think since I've graduated, could really help connect back with alumni and look at what are some of those innovative solutions that we should put in place in higher education, technology, students. So there's a ton that I'm passionate about, and I'm, I'm really excited about this opportunity. Amazing. We certainly wish you a lot of success in, in that quest as well. So now we're going to put you into the lines then, which, as you can imagine, is everything related to your experience at Penn State. Great. Can't wait. So, Bridget, we, we spent a lot of time on the show today speaking about your very impressive career. Tell us a little bit about how Penn State prepared you for the career and your professional endeavors. Sure. I might take this for a little turn here. So I don't think this is on any resume or LinkedIn, but I actually worked at the Shandy Gaff. For, <laughs> and when I've talked about this recently, someone's like, nobody calls it the Shandy Gaff. They call it the Gap, but I worked there. So I, I called it the Shandy Gaff. Fair enough. Um, you know, I bring that up because I think it, it it helped like with my hustle and how I worked because I remember freshman year, like I, I made that walk up to Beaver Stadium and was like so pumped and it's like an energy like you've never felt right going into Beaver Stadium and it's insane. And then after a few of those, it's like, shoot, like I got to make myself some money here. So how am I going to do that? And found myself as a cocktail waitress at the Gaff, and I worked there like through graduation basically, or I stopped before I went student teaching. But I did that while like taking classes, and a lot of students would do that. Like you're working, you're trying to have a social life, you're taking classes. But it really taught me a lot about hustle, and I love that, and I kept that like energy and spirit after I graduated college. And then just really the shaping of being a part of Chi Omega, the Greek system, moving into the Penhellenic and getting exposed to other aspects of the university, I really loved. So that's what then sparked me. Okay, I want to get into business. And I just loved the bigness of Penn State. 
I loved that you had to meet people on your own. I really didn't know anybody when I got to Penn State. So it's meeting friends and networking and just like being out there on your own. Yeah. Seems like yesterday, but it definitely was not yesterday. (laughs) It's only fitting too that you are working in the beverage industry right? right. after working at the Shandy Gaff. It it all comes full circle. It does. That's a great, that's a great answer. I love that. And we learned something that's not on your LinkedIn, as you said, or your resume. If you've listened to the show before, this is always the toughest question of them all. Favorite memory at Penn State? Oh my gosh. Favorite memory. My favorite memory, honestly, was that first walk up to Beaver Stadium. I think that's why I said it. I remember that so vividly. I'm still really good friends, specifically with three of my closest girlfriends from college. And they'll always be going back and forth about different memories. And I honestly like don't remember a lot of them. And that's not because of too much socialization. But I remember specifically that first Saturday morning, walking up with like thousands of other people going into Beaver Stadium and just like the chance and you feel that in your body. And every time I see the stadium or every time in person as we've gone back or or watch a game on TV, like I'm always brought back to that. And it's really cool that after nearly 20 years, it can have that same effect. Excellent. So you mentioned, I guess my next question, you've touched upon it a little bit possibly, but you mentioned how you came to Penn State. You didn't necessarily know anybody. Favorite memory being walking up to Beaver Stadium. So if you could go back and speak with 18-year-old version of yourself, the freshman, Bridget, entering Penn State, not really knowing anybody, what advice would you give her? Jeez. Don't take 8 a.m.s. I remember my dad being like, (laughs) you should take all these 8 a.m. classes. No, you know, the piece of advice would be get out there. Don't find yourself in your room. People got to do what make themselves comfortable. When you're at Penn State, when you're at a place that's got like 45,000 people on campus, right? Like you got to get out there. And I, I think there were the first couple weeks or it could have gone in spurts and like, you know, I just felt overwhelmed a bit. So I think what I would say is just get out there either to myself or anybody, you got to get out there. You got to put yourself in those uncomfortable situations and go and meet people. And everybody's in the same position. I remember thinking that too, like walking up, shoot, I can't remember where I lived the first year, but it wasn't East Halls, but like walking up there and feeling like I wasn't up there. And so like, how am I just going to make friends with some of these people? And I think you just got to get out there and meet people because everybody's in the same spot. Nobody went there with a hundred friends. Very true. And along the the advice lines, when you come across now someone who's 18 years old and considering college and they say, yeah, I'm thinking about Penn State, how do you try to convince them to come to dear old state? I think I would tell them, you just go there. Like, just go for one weekend when students are on campus, even when it's not, it's so beautiful and, and people would go. But then in all seriousness, look at what's just on campus, like all the resources for students. It is amazing. And then the other thing, so you're 18, but think about four years from now, when you go to graduate, you've got this unbelievable alumni network that is there forever. That is like the most passionate that you will ever find. And you've got that network forever. It's anywhere you go. I'll be like on planes or traveling. And if you see anybody with a Penn State, I'm still not always super loud about it, but In my head, if I don't say it out loud, I'm like, we are. And you know that if you say that to anybody, like they're going to say Penn State. And yeah, just go up for a weekend and then think about all you can get out of those four years and then think beyond that and just this amazing network that you'll have forever. Yeah, I went my senior year of high school. I went to a football game and I was just hooked. 
not only from a football perspective, but really just what brought me in was the community. And yeah. just like you said, it's just such a tight knit community. And it yeah. was something that growing up in New York City, I didn't have in my high school. And when I went there, I fell in love with it. So, yeah, it's hard not to. Yeah, definitely agree. I mean, I, I visited for the first time and it's just you, you can't explain it. You're just there. You're taking a tour. I think it certainly didn't hurt that it was the most beautiful spring day when I happened to visit for the first time. Right. And it's just you just know this is the spot. This is the yeah. this is where I want to be for four years. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we we touched upon that you're running for a uh, trustee position. Uh, aside from that, how do you feel most connected to, to the university these days? Through the College of Education and giving back through the College of Education and reaching out to them on how can I help. It is a little bit more challenging since I'm in a non-traditional role for the College of Education. But when I went back a few years ago, I sat and I met with some different students and just to talk about like education, or if you aren't thinking about being a teacher, like here are some other avenues to go down. If you think that you still want to graduate and get that degree, there could be human resources, there could be sales. Teachers, the, the skills that teachers have can go across so many different industries. So that's what I stay most connected with is how can I continue to try to give back to the College of Education? That's amazing. And, and I think you yourself are just a true educator, right? It may not be your title at Calypso, mm -hmm. but in terms of what you do and how you mentor and how you try to give back, that's amazing. And then when I think about it as well, from your perspective, you found your passion at Penn State and mm -hmm. you may not be doing what you first set out from a major perspective, but that's the beauty of college and that's the beauty of finding these experiences and when you leave, you're able to go on that journey from there. So congratulations on all the success. Certainly, we wish you continued success in your job, but also as you go for the trustee position as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. And we always end with one last thing. We are Penn State. Lion Legacy is a Baruda production. If you enjoy this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.